Jesus says, But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Jesus teaches the Beatitudes in the Gospel of Matthew and Luke. In Matthew, it is part of the Sermon on the Mount. In Luke, it is part of the Sermon on the Plains. But our Lord adds four woes, or words of sorrow, immediately following the Beatitudes in Luke. The woes are a warning to all who reject or disregard instructions concerning the Beatitudes. Here Jesus says, What sorrow awaits you who are rich? For you have your only happiness now. Imagine trading an eternity of spiritual happiness for a few measly years of happiness on earth. People do it all the time. In fact, even those who call themselves Christians. It is the saddest thing that happens on earth. Jesus warns us, What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? Jesus calls that person a fool. So it's time to start laying up treasures in heaven. Well, last uh, Sunday we completed the eight Beatitudes found in Matthew chapter 5. In the Beatitudes, called the Sermon on the Mount, it's part of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus discusses what we call the constitution of the kingdom. If you want to know how people who belong to the kingdom of God function, then you read the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount will help you understand what it means to belong to this new nation. And I want you to understand that. If you're a Christian today, you're part of this Jesus revolution. It's a revolt against the kingdoms of this world. And it means now that you belong to the King of Kings, the Lord Jesus Christ, and you're part of his holy nation. Very important to understand that. If you don't understand that, you're not going to understand how to live in this world as a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus Christ is our king. He's the one that's leading the revolution. But it's not a bloody revolution. It's not a violent revolution. What it is is a spiritual revolution. Jesus calls us to a new way of thinking new attitude, new philosophy. And Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, teaches us what the new way to think is all about. What is this new way of thinking? What is this new philosophy? What's the new attitude? Well, that's what we discussed for eight weeks in the Beatitudes, the eight Beatitudes of Matthew, chapter 5. Now, we're not done with the Beatitudes, not quite yet. In fact, we are looking at what's called the Sermon on the Plain. There's the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And then there's the Sermon on the Plain in Luke chapter 6. Let me show you a picture uh, of the Sermon on the Plain. It's done by the uh, Florentine painter by the name of Cosimo Rosselli. And this is his vision of the Sermon on the Plain. And of course, we see uh, Jesus here teaching, and then off to the side, there's the disciples, and they are, are, are healing, they are 
in the process of teaching these, these multitudes that have come to hear Jesus. They're teaching these people what the kingdom of God is really all about. It's absolutely thrilling. So the next time you read a gospel, and if you haven't read the gospels yet, uh, I'm not going to say shame on you, but what I am going to say is you really need to get your Bible open and start reading about the life of Christ. So the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and then the Sermon on the Plain is Luke chapter 6. And you'll see many, many parallels to these two sermons. Uh, many scholars believe that Jesus had this very important kingdom message that he would have been preaching throughout, the, throughout Judea and Samaria. Uh, he would have been teaching people what it means to belong to this new holy nation, this so-called kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God. Those are synonymous terms. Now, for the next four weeks, including today, we're going to be looking at Luke's rendition of the Beatitudes. There's four Beatitudes, and with those four Beatitudes are what we call four woes or four condemnations. The four Beatitudes and the four woes, they, they, each of them cor have a correlation. They, they're connected to one another. And we'll look at that in just a moment. But before we do, I want to read to you the scripture, uh, Luke chapter 6, verses 17 to 26. And today I'm reading from the uh, ESV. And uh, here we go. If you have your NLT, by all means, do look at that. But get your Bible out and, uh, and let's, uh, let's take a look at what it says. So just to give you some background, Jesus has been healing people on the Sabbath. He's eating grain on the Sabbath. Uh, he has just called his disciples. And uh, Jesus, of course, is under attack. By the way, if anybody wants to serve God, anybody who wants to follow Christ, the King of Kings, you are going to come under attack, just so that you know. Don't be shocked. Don't be surprised. Jesus was under attack. Because the kingdom of this world is under the influence and under the rulership of Satan. He's called the prince of this world. And so if you're going to follow Christ, you are going to come under persecution. And we talked about that last week, didn't we? We talked about how if you are, are following Christ, if you're obeying Christ, you're going to come under persecution. Well, Jesus is under persecution, and uh, they don't like what he's saying. At least, at least the religious leaders don't like what he's saying. So here it is, uh, Luke chapter 6, starting at verse 17, and it says, And Jesus came down with them and stood on a level place, that is the Sermon on the Plain, right? With a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. And then Jesus gives the Beatitudes, verse 20. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples. He's looking at each and every one of them. And I want you to notice something. He's speaking in the second person, not in the third person. He's speaking to you. And he says to his disciples and to those following, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, 
for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. And then Jesus gives the woes. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. And then finally, verse 26, Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. May God add his own rich blessing to the reading of his word. Now you'll notice that in Luke's reporting of the Beatitudes, that there are, in fact, only four Beatitudes mentioned here. And there's all kinds of theories as to why only four of them are mentioned, which I don't have time to get into now. You can research a little bit of that on your own. But I would say probably it's because Jesus uh, spoke the, this kingdom sermon in different places at different times for different audiences. And we see that often. A, a pastor will preach the same sermon at different times at different places uh, with slight changes to it. But I want you to notice that there are four of the eight Beatitudes mentioned by Matthew in Matthew chapter 5. We'll see the similarities. Uh, Luke mentions the first, the fourth, the second, and the eighth. I'm, I'm saying them in order here. And uh, so it's, it, it definitely uh, mirrors what is being said by Matthew. The only thing that's different is that it, Matthew doesn't mention the woes that Jesus mentions. And, and Jesus uses these woes to underscore his points. He said, here's the blessings. Now I want you to know what will bring the condemnation. None of us wants to be condemned. Nobody wants to, to experience these woes. And so Jesus makes it clear, crystal clear. He makes his point positively, and then he states the same point in, in negative terms. So there's no confusion as to what it is that he is saying to us. And so uh, what Jesus is doing here then as he's presenting the Beatitudes with the woes side by side. So let's review then the first Beatitude of Luke and the first woe. We have to look at them side by side. It'll help us understand the point that Jesus is making. So he says, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. You'll notice there's a slight difference from Matthew's version of this Beatitude. He says, Rather, it says, blessed are you who are poor. He simply says, blessed are the poor in spirit. You'll notice it's in the third person, just making a blanket statement. But now he's, in Luke here, he's being very specific. It's you. You need to understand this. You need to take this to heart. This is for you. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Now, there's some theologians that want to say that, that Jesus is saying something altogether different, that this is some kind of an economic statement, um, and I, I would argue, and there's a lot of, of pastors and theologians that would, would say the same thing, that Jesus is, is essentially saying the same thing. But let's take a look at it so that we can clearly understand it. 
Jesus is saying, yes, blessed are the poor because they understand their need of God. Uh, Jesus is, is saying, blessed are the poor in spirit because they understand their need of God. Look, at, let's, let's just point something out right here and right now. In no way are we saying that, that being poor will necessarily make you happy. That's, that's, uh, that's ridiculous. We know that. We know that poverty doesn't necessarily make anybody happy. Uh, it reminds me of something that was said in Fiddler on the Roof. If you've ever seen that movie, it's one of my favorite movies of all time. And it's about this poor Jewish milkman. Uh, Tevya is his name. He's got five daughters. And it's really a big deal to try to get these daughters married off, but making sure that they're married off to the right guys. So uh, the whole story really is about how the, the, the first three of his five daughters finds a mate. But uh, Hodel... Uh, is the uh, second born, and uh, a young man arrives from Moscow. His name is Perchik, and Perchik is a young revolutionary. Uh, he is uh, a Marxist, a communist. Uh, this is before the communist power uh, uh, regime or the communist party came to power, but he's preaching his, his belief system to anybody who will listen in this little town of Anatevka. And uh, there's Perchik speaking to Tevya. He wants, he wants Tevya to know that he wants to marry his daughter. And uh, in amongst all of, all of these things that this young, uh, hyperactive Perchik is communicating to Tevya, he says, money is the world's curse. And Tevya says, may the Lord smite me with it, and may I never recover. It's one of my favorite lines in that movie. Money is the world's curse, and Tevye says, may the Lord smite me with it, and may I never recover. I love that. What's Jesus really saying here when he says, blessed are the poor? Jesus is saying that being poor opens our hearts up in a very unique way, in a way that, that a wealthy person's heart would not be touched. The poor, recognizing their desperate condition, were it not for God stepping in and helping them, they would starve to death. This is what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is reminding us that the poor discover that God is the one who meets all our needs. Now, this, this idea of God being the one who provides for us is actually uh, the doctrine of providence. And we first hear about this ancient doctrine of providence uh, back in the fourth, uh, third or fourth century. It was Augustine of Hippo who first started talking about God as providence. And, and you'll notice that some people, uh, not so much today, but a hundred years uh, ago or more, they would refer to God as providence, providence with a capital P. He's the one who provides. He's the one who meets our needs. He is the one who protects us and cares for us as a spiritual power who is, is greater than any of the powers of this world. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture of who God is. And again, if you've read your Bible, then you will see this God called providence. He is our God. He is the one who provides. He's the one who meets our needs. We recognize him as, 
as one who is sovereign and in charge. And by the way, if you're listening to me today and you're feeling like, man, I don't know how I'm going to make ends meet, where I'm going to get my job, I don't know if I'll have a job, you're feeling distraught and overwhelmed by life, you need to understand something. There's a blessing in store for you. This is what Jesus is saying. Blessed are you who are poor. Because now you're uniquely positioned to receive God's blessing. You're uniquely positioned to be crying out to the God of the universe, and you're in a position now to hear and to see what God will do for you. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful picture. And that's what, that's what Jesus is talking about. This idea of God's providence was picked up by the reformers, by the Protestants in the 16th century. They, they came to that place where they realized that, that they're not at the mercy of people. They're not at the mercy of Rome. They're not at the mercy of the Pope. They're not at the mercy of anybody but God. God is, is the one who's our provider. He's the one who meets our needs. He's the one who loves us and cares for us. And so this, this really is a Protestant heritage, this understanding that our God wants to meet our needs. And I'm going to tell you today that if you have forgotten that, it's because you have not been hearing the truth. Because underlying this relationship with God is a solid understanding that God is our provider. He meets our needs. He guides us. He helps us. He protects us. Everything we need is in God. And if you are poor, if you're in a position where you are in need, then you are especially blessed because you now are going to experience the power of Almighty God. The poor are aware of their poverty and their spiritual poverty. And they know that they need God. And those who know they need God are blessed indeed. Why? Because Jesus promises that you will inherit the kingdom of God. It amazes me how many people may be poor economically, but they don't understand that they're poor spiritually, and they go on throughout their life in arrogance and pride, never ever receiving the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. Listen, if you understand your spiritual poverty and if you understand your economic poverty, then you are uniquely positioned to receive the blessings of the kingdom of God. It's thrilling. Hey, if, you, if you've never experienced that personal relationship with God where you know God's at work in your life, uh, today could be a, a turning point for you where you can just simply cry out to God and say, God, I don't want to carry on as I am, am anymore. I want all of the blessing that you have promised to me. And it, it will be yours. All you have to do is ask in the name of Jesus. And you will receive that blessing. You will have the assurance that you are part of, a member in the kingdom of God. That's good news. That's thrilling. Now, I want us to look at the woe. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. I want you to notice that word consolation. The consol that word consolation in the Greek, uh, it suggests being paid in full. You've, you've been paid, you've been given everything. Nothing is owed to you. God doesn't owe you anything. 
Nobody owes you anything because you've been paid because you're rich, you've got everything you need. But I want you to notice something else. It says, but woe to you who are rich for you have received your consolation. You have received. That's a very interesting uh, uh, word. Apexite. It's a it's a, a verb in the second person plural, so Jesus is speaking directly to those who are in front of him, not just speaking it in general, but specifically to those who are there listening to those words. Jesus wanted the people present to hear exactly what he had to say. I'm guessing that maybe Jesus knew that there were people there who uh, were, were in this position. They were rich. Uh, perhaps they were religious leaders who were rich. Uh, maybe tax collectors who were rich, but there were people there that were very rich, and Jesus looks right at them and says, woe to you. Here's a condemnation that I have for you. And so in this, in this second person plural, it, you need to uh, recognize that it's also the present active voice. So what I want to do, just so that you really get the feel for this, I've, I've kind of paraphrased this. And so what he's saying is, woe to you rich people, all of you are getting your reward and your happiness now. Present active voice. You're getting your reward and your happiness now, and it's not from God. It's from your riches. Now, just stop and think about that for a minute. Jesus is saying is, is that you who are rich, you don't need God. You don't want God. You've got your payments in full. You've received everything you want here and now. It's not this... this this happiness that you may think you have right now, it's not from God, it's from your wealth and your riches. In other words, Jesus is saying God is not, has got no part in your life, none at all. Now, I'm going to tell you, when I hear that, those are terrifying words to me. It's, it's frightening to me, and it's frightening to me how many Christians live like this. They are calling their riches the blessings of God. And I'm going to say to you today, and this might shock some of you, are you sure? Are you sure that the things that you have are the blessings of God? Are you sure that it's not just the fruit of your pursuits, your pursuit of wealth? Rather than pursuing Christ, you've been pursuing money, and now you've got lots of it, and you're saying, thanks be to God. Well, I could ask you another question. Again, this will be, be insulting for some. I've got to ask you who your God is. Jesus says you can't love money and God. You're going to love one and hate the other, or vice versa. You're going to hate God and love your money, or love, love money and hate God. And that's the way it is with a lot of people, especially people who call themselves Christians. Woe to you who are rich, for you've received your consolation. You've been paid in full. God's cut nothing for you. You've got it all yourself. Your money is your God. And by the way, when the Bible, when Jesus speaks about that, when Jesus speaks about loving God or loving money, it, the, the word is mammon, and mammon is a god. A, I believe it's a Syrian god of, of wealth and riches. You, you, you're either worshiping God or you're worshiping this, this mammon, this Syrian god of wealth. No wonder Jesus says, woe to you who are rich. You, you may think you're blessed, but it's not from God. It's from, you're, you're, you're just experiencing the fruit of your pursuits. No wonder Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 6, back to the Sermon on the Mount, remember? Matthew 5 is, 
is all about the Beatitudes. Matthew 6, Jesus says, live a life where you're not worrying about anything. In fact, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything you need will be added unto you. Jesus not once tells us to pursue wealth. Did you know that? And yet last night, every now and again, I, I'm surfing through the channels, and I'm, I'm, I, I always land on the religious channel. And I'm not going to name the, the preacher that was preaching, but I just wanted to listen to him. And he was, he was saying shocking stuff. He was talking about how the Bible is full of scriptures that talk about being rich and receiving the blessings of God. And this, this preacher is going on and on and on. Finally, Jesse says, Dad, turn that off. He's fed up. He didn't want to listen to this guy going on and on and on in that TV voice, that, that whiny TV voice. This guy has got a house at 35,000 square feet. I'm not going to tell you who he is, but you can look up these facts and find out for yourself. A house that's 35,000 square feet. He's got a house that's actually two times bigger than the building that we worship God in. Just think about that. He's got three jets, more fancy cars and jewelry than you can imagine, and he brags about it, and he says, this all can be yours. And he mocked preachers who were not going along with him. He mocked, we mocked someone like me for what I'm teaching. And my question is, has he actually ever read the Bible? At least, has he ever read the words of Jesus? Blessed are you who are poor, not blessed are you who are rich, for yours is the kingdom of God. Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your payment in full. You've received your consolation. He's not read this, obviously, or if he has, he has twisted it to mean something else. But this is very clear what Jesus is saying here. I'm reminded of a time when Jesus is visited by a rich man. This rich man came to Christ, and he said, uh, Master, uh, how do I get into the kingdom of heaven? How do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus looks at him and tells him, well, you've got you to... Gotta, uh, keep the laws of God, and this man says, I, I do keep the laws of God, and I'm diligent in doing that, and then Jesus drops the hammer. It's more like a bomb, and Jesus says this in Mark 10, verse 21, one thing you lack. Did you hear that? One thing you lack? Go sell everything you have and give to the poor. He's a rich man, and he's lacking something, and what is it? Jesus says, you lack a love for me, a love for God. You love your things. You love your money. Go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Jesus says, then come follow me. Give it all away, and then come follow me. And it says, this man's face fell, and he went away sad because he had great wealth. So, he's, it, so here he is asking Jesus, how do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, oh, there's one thing that you lack, give it all away, and then come follow me, and you'll, have in, you'll, ha you'll inherit the kingdom of God. You'll, you'll, get in, you'll inherit eternal life. No. And then Jesus, after watching this poor man walk away, he looked around at his disciples, and he said how hard it is for the rich 
to enter the kingdom of God. How, how difficult it is. And the disciples were amazed at his words, verse 24. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. This is not easy, inheriting the kingdom of God. But Jesus says the poor are blessed, and they're the ones that will inherit the kingdom of God. And then Jesus says something that you've all heard. He says, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Canada is a rich country. If anybody should be listening very carefully to these words, it's, it's you and it's, it's me. Why? Because we're rich. Then the disciples said, by, by, by this standard, who on earth can be saved? And then Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. This is all impossible. Human beings left to their own devices, it's, it's impossible. But it's not impossible with God, Jesus says. All things are possible with God. Now this begs a few questions, doesn't it? For instance, at what point am I officially rich? Because there's some people think, I live in an old community, I live in an old house, uh, therefore I can't be counted amongst the rich. Are you sure? What if I am rich? What should I do? Should I go sell it all right now? Should I do what Jesus told this rich man to do? Well, for some of you, that may be exactly what you need to do. I think of those, the, the TV stars, the singers that love to talk about how they found faith, and we'll know it by the transformation that we see in their life. We're not judging or condemning, but we do know who inherits the kingdom of God. It's not the rich. Jesus said the rich probably aren't going to make it. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. What the eye of the needle is, it's a tiny, tiny, tiny little hole where you have to thread the, the thread through. I remember my grandmother always getting me to do it because her eyes were failing and I had good eyes. Now I would have to get my grandkids to do it, except I don't have grandkids. So um, maybe somebody will talk to my kids about that. I, I have known wealthy people who are, are extremely stingy. Very, it'd be very easy for them to give. These are, these are people that think that if they support one child in Burundi, they should somehow get some kind of a, a medal of honor. I sponsored a child. Meanwhile, you're in a position where you could probably sponsor a whole village, except your money's too important to you. They don't like it when the pastor asks for money. You know that? I, I get that all the time. I, people don't like it. Why are you always asking for money? Here's what I've discovered. People who love to give, people who are poor of spirit, people who understand this principle, they love it when I can give them things to contribute to. I love it. It's the thing that I live for. My wife lives for this and, and, and my own family. We, this is something very important to us. We love to give. 
because we know that God has blessed us with so much. On the other hand, now I've, I know some wealthy people who have been incredibly generous. And they live very modest lives, and they love to give away large amounts of money. And they do it uh, anonymously. They don't want anybody to know about it. I know that. I know, I know a number of people like that. And they love to give generously, and they love to live modestly. Now, these people who are wealthy are actually living as though they were poor. They, they understand this principle of the kingdom. They, they're not looking for a reward from their wealth. They're looking for a reward from God himself. Understand this. The things of this world, the Bible says, they're passing away. I've done, I can't even count the number of funerals I've done in my lifetime. And you've heard the old joke, and we never, never have a U-Haul full of stuff coming behind the hearse. You can't take anything with you. And yet that's how we live, that we're going to keep it forever. No, the stuff that you have, you're going to have it for a while, and then you're not going to have it. It's been entrusted to you for a short time. The question is, is what are you going to do with it? Now, I don't want to get off track because I could very easily now get into uh, a sermon about giving. I want us to understand the attitude and the heart of a believer, the heart of somebody who has followed Jesus in this revolution. We reject the philosophies and the ideas of this world. We reject what this world calls important. Money is not important. The, the psalmist says that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns it all. It belongs to him. And he entrusts some of it to us, and he expects that we be good stewards of it. You know, you don't have to be necessarily financially poor. What you do have to be, however, is spiritually poor. You need to understand that without God, life is hopeless. And without doing things God's way, life is hopeless. Riches, I would say, are the most difficult and the most dangerous of all tests. It, look, if you live in Canada, you're rich. Compared to the rest of the world, even the poorest among us are rich. There's not many people who can handle this. I've seen immigrants who are solid Christians in the country they've come from. The minute they arrive here, they're overwhelmed by the wealth they start working every Sunday. They're never in church. They just, and now suddenly they have forgotten all about God. The God that they prayed to, the God that they asked to help them come to Canada. It's a dangerous place to be. Canada is a dangerous country. North America is. I've watched wealthy people become devastated by their wealth. Everybody thinks that wealth brings happiness. I hear people say all the time, I'm praying that God will bless me so that I can give. Look at if you can't mimic or imitate that, that poor widow that Jesus pointed out. Remember that poor widow who gave her last mite? If you can't do that out of your poverty, if you can't give out of your poverty, I guarantee you're not going to give anything out of your wealth. Do you know that some of the poorest people around are, are not poor in spirit? There's a pride, there's an arrogance, there's a greed. And Jesus is talking about people who understand they're poor and they understand that God alone is their provider. 
Wow. Well, let me close with this. What, what do we do with this information? What do I do now? Well, I'm going to surprise you. Because some of you who are listening right now are pretty well off. I would say that for, for Gloria and myself and, and my family, that we're, you know, God has helped us. We have, we have done more than 10% in our giving. We've tried to really, really outgive God. And so I would say we're, we've, we've got money. We, we, we're able to make ends meet. But some of you are saying today, well, what if, what if I don't have money? What should I do? Well, the answer is give. You need to give. That doesn't make sense. Yeah, blessed are the poor. If you, if you feel today that you are poor, you have no money, then you need to do what Jesus tells you to do. You need to give. Well, what if, I, what if I've got lots of money? What should I do? Well, the solution is the same. You need to give. Let me just remind you of what Jesus says. Remember, the Beatitudes is in Matthew chapter 5, and the Beatitudes are also in Luke chapter 6. Well, let me tell you what Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, and let me tell you what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6. For those who have no money or don't have a lot of money, Jesus says, give and you will receive. You will, your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount that you give will determine the amount that you get back. Folks, this is the way to live, where God, where God is blessing you. You're receiving your consolation from God, not from your money. You're receiving your blessing from God and not from your own pursuits of wealth in this world. Remember, your number one pursuit must be the pursuit of God. Now, if you have lots of money, here's what Jesus says. Don't store up treasure here on earth. Where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal, store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Let me ask you today, have you stored up your treasure in heaven or are you storing up your treasure on earth? If you're storing up your treasure here on earth, I have this to say to you. Woe to you. Woe to you. You who are rich. You've received your payment in full. Folks, I don't want anything that this world has to offer me. I want only the blessings that come from God. I want to store up my treasure in heaven. And I pray that you'll be able to say the same thing. Father, give us the grace, we pray, to obey you and to live as Jesus has taught us. We know, God, that with man, it's impossible to live this way, but with God, by his Spirit, we can live this way. We can be generous. We can give. We can share. We can look to you for our consolation. We can look to you for our reward. We can look to you for our blessing. Because that's what it means to be part of the kingdom of God. Amen. God bless you.